Super Talk Mississippi media production. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Back with my friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. We're going to come back to the Saints in just a second. This, uh, Jeff has covered the Saints longer than anyone else. He's written books about the Saints. He's the man in terms of what's happening at the Saints these days. And boy, there is a lot of Saints moves as they bring people in off the injured reserve and pick up some new players and work with the practice squad. A lot of dynamics happening right now. We'll, we'll be talking about that in just a second. One of the things that Jeff pays a lot of attention to and has for many years is what's happening at LSU. Um, so were you surprised with how the Orgeron thing sort of played out or you you fully expected it? A little bit. Uh, you know, I, I gathered from some sources that it was inevitable but the timing of it happening when it did uh, was a little surprising to me just because Scott Woodward's track record is not to make a change during the season. And, and ultimately, he didn't. They just agreed to part ways, and the news was going to leak out when, when they finally reached that agreement. But after that Kentucky game, the writing was on the wall. I mean, you, you're LSU, Ricky. You can't go to Kentucky and give up 330 yards rushing. It just it, There's no way that should happen. The disparity between those two programs in terms of budget, uh, prestige, everything involved uh, was embarrassing, I think, for everyone involved with LSU to, to get beat that way. And I think even Ed Ogeron said afterwards that, that uh, he was embarrassed by how it played out. I think even he knew at that point that uh, his stay in Baton Rouge was going to be short. Well, you know, Mississippi, um, you're talking about SEC teams, you've got Mississippi State and Ole Miss. You've got other players, other teams that are around the fringes competing for players. You go over to Alabama, you got you got Alabama and Auburn. But in, in Louisiana, you got LSU. Again, you got other, other teams that are playing around the fr- fringes. But make no mistake about it, the team is LSU. So the expectations are great. I do think the way they did it is probably it showed respect for Orgeron. It bought them a little bit of time. And I bet there's still a lot of activity going on around the coaching search. What's, what's the latest on that? Well, Scott Woodward is going to be a big hire for him. I mean, he's really in the process of, of probably identifying candidates. He probably is a little down the road on that, to be honest with you. He's done this in the past at, at Texas A&M and at University of Washington. He makes big, splashy hires. He's known as a big game hunter. Uh, at, at Washington, he was able to lure Chris Peterson out of Boise State when no one could get Chris Peterson to leave Boise State. And at A&M, of course, he was able to hire Jimbo Fisher away from Florida State uh, when at, at a time when he was very comfortable and very successful in, in Tallahassee. And I think we're going to see a very similar type move here. I think everything that's going to drive this decision is finding the right coach that can stare Alabama eye to eye. I, I think it, just think of that. I don't know who it's going to be, but I know who it's not going to be. And it's probably not going to be an up and coming assistant coach someone with the without the chops to take on Alabama because that's unfortunately the world that LSU lives in. They're in the same division with the best program in college football. They've got to somehow find a way to compete with them. So it's going to take a coach that's not intimidated by that challenge, someone that actually embraces that challenge, and there's not too many of those people out there. So it'll be interesting to see 
So if you were doing a search today, who would you be, who would you be thinking about? I think it'll be people like that. Jimbo Fisher, um, uh, James Franklin at Penn State. Uh, I think it could be a big name that we're not no that's not on somebody's radar screen. Someone like a Logan Riley at Oklahoma or a Dabo Swinney at Clemson that maybe is ready for a change that people don't know about on the service. And the, the best example I can give of that is he hired Kim Mulkey away from Baylor to be the women's basketball coach. No one thought Kim Mulkey was was ready to leave Baylor. She'd been highly successful there. I think it's going to be that kind of hire that Woodward makes because he can't find somebody that's going to come in and just keep the status quo. He's got to raise the bar in Baton Rouge and find another uh, Nick Saban type head coach here. And, and I think now with Scott Woodward there, a qualified, very well-respected athletic director, this job becomes much more attractive to a lot of candidates than it was with Joe Oliva, the previous athletic director. And you mentioned it earlier, Ricky, that there's a huge advantage here in Louisiana and that LSU is the only really premier school there, the only power five school in the state with incredible recruiting grounds. Uh, so that gives LSU, I think, a, a leg up on a lot of other programs. You can win a national championship here. The fact that three different head coaches have won national titles here in the last 15 years speaks volumes. It really speaks it really speaks volume. But as a, as we've learned with Orgeron, you're only as good as your last performance. <laughs> and, and, you know, now that we uh, we're able to see – uh, you know, we saw it in the case of, um, you know, m multiple quarterbacks in college football history. But when you've got a great quarterback and, and you got a you got a, a good recruiting class, you can win it. And, uh, you know, there's so many great examples of that. You know, what Cam did in Auburn, you know, it was just incredible. And you just you, it's you know, that's happened at, at, uh, at LSU more than once. It's going to happen again. But they're not what they're not looking for the spurt just because you had a great quarterback. They're, they're looking for the ability to build a dynasty that can that can c compete with the Alabamas over a period of time. That's the goal, isn't it? Yeah. And that's why it's going to take the right person. Uh, I, I don't know who it's going to be. But I think I know who it's not going to be, and I don't think it's going to be someone that Woodward is going to roll the dice on unless he feels like it's a, an, a, a young Urban Meyer. You know, like Urban Meyer won at Bowling Green, then he went out to Utah and won, then he comes and goes to Florida and wins, he wins at Ohio State. He has a track record of winning in lots of different parts of the country, and I think you can find that person. I know a lot of times people think, oh, you have to get someone – from the South that understands how to recruit. I don't believe that personally. I think if you get a good head coach that knows how to build culture uh, and build a foundation, they're going to win wherever they go. Nick Saban was a great example. I was the beat writer at the Times-Picayune when he was hired. I broke that story for the Times-Picayune. He came from Michigan State, had really no background in the South, and we saw what Nick Saban's been able to do. You get the right person, players are going to want to play for him. Hey, listen, uh, we'll start fresh with the Saints in the next segment, uh, but NBA season is getting going. So what's your thoughts about where the Pelicans are at this moment? Well, as we're recording this uh, early, you know, the Pelicans will have opened the season on Wednesday night in the Smoothie King Center against the Philadelphia 76ers. They get them without uh, Ben Simmons. So hopefully they could start the season off on a winning note, but they're going to be doing it without Zion Williamson. That's the big disappointing uh, thing for the Pelicans right now that, that he's not back from his foot offseason foot surgery. Uh, they def, def, desperately need some positive momentum to start the season, and they're gonna have to do it without their best player. 
Uh, I just don't sense a lot of buzz right now. I've, I've been impressed so far with Willie Green, the new head coach, but he's got a challenge early on with the schedule uh, in trying to get some wins without Zion Williamson on the court. So we'll see. I think they, I think if they can start well, Ricky, get some enthusiasm, some momentum, and then get Zion back, I think this team will definitely make a playoff run. And I think they have to for David Griffin, the general manager, to retain his job. There's a lot of pressure on him this year. Yeah, you said that before, but Willie Green does bring a whole new culture to the table. It will be very interesting, his ability to connect with young players. How long is Zion going to be out? We don't know. I mean, they're, they're, they're not giving us a timeline, but it sounds like at least a couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm sure, at least a week. I mean, he hasn't even gotten really back to cardio yet. That's part of the problem when you have one of those like foot injuries or lower leg injuries. You can't do much cardio. You have to get in the pool and do it, and it's just not the same. So for him to get back into basketball shape, I think it's going to take a little while. And last thing before we move on to the Saints, but it's related to the Saints, your series about what happens to the Saints when uh, when Miss Benson passes on, we talked about it in detail the last time we were on the show together. But uh, the Saints and the, that organization and Miss Benson uh, and your readers had to have been pleased with the work that you guys did on that the series of stories. Well, I think it was necessary. I think there were a lot of questions that people had about what's going to happen to these teams, especially given Gail Benson's status. Uh, she's 74. She's very healthy, but she has no heirs. And there's always been questions about what's going to happen. And I thought she was very candid in saying these teams aren't going anywhere. Uh, my my goal is to keep them here long term. I think that was reassuring to fans who might be worried that one or both of the other organizations might be imperiled when her ownership ends. I had the pleasure of meeting with both Tom Benson and Gail Benson uh, not long after I arrived in Louisiana. And... Uh, they seemed like a terrific team. There is no doubt about that. They were a terrific team. He would be so proud of the way that she's handled herself and his legacy since he passed away. What, don't you think? Yeah, I think she's tried to carry on the, the, the operating procedure that he set. I mean, they run a very lean operation. Uh, they punch above their weight class. We know New Orleans is a small market, relatively speaking, compared to their peers in the NBA and the NFL. And those are two different business models, the NBA and the NFL, uh, the way they operate. It's a bigger challenge in the NBA, but I think the challenge for them right now, Ricky, is to try and make Pelicans a destination franchise the way they've done with the New Orleans Saints. That's been a huge success on that side of the building. They're trying to replicate it on basketball operations. Well, they're, they're certainly putting the money there, and uh, and they're do, doing everything they can to overcome the small market aspect of what they bring to the table. But when we come back, we're going to get the latest on the Saints. This is Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. We'll see you after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
back with my friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Speaking in. We're going to come back to the Saints in just a second. This, uh, Jeff has covered the Saints longer than anyone else. He's written books about the Saints. He's the man in terms of what's happening at the Saints these days. And boy, there is a lot of Saints moves as they bring people in off the injured reserve and pick up some new players and work with the practice squad. A lot of dynamics happening right now. We'll, we'll be talking about that in just a second. One of the things that Jeff pays a lot of attention to and has for many years is what's happening at LSU. Um, so were you surprised with how the Orgeron thing sort of played out or you you fully expected it? A little bit. Uh, you know, I, I gathered from some sources that it was inevitable but the timing of it happening when it did uh, was a little surprising to me just because Scott Woodward's track record is not to make a change during the season. And, and ultimately, he didn't. They just agreed to part ways, and the news was going to leak out when, when they finally reached that agreement. But after that Kentucky game, the writing was on the wall. I mean, you, you're LSU, Ricky. You can't go to Kentucky and give up 330 yards rushing. It just it, There's no way that should happen. The disparity between those two programs in terms of budget, uh, prestige, everything involved uh, was embarrassing, I think, for everyone involved with LSU to, to get beat that way. Now, they get, even Ed Ogeron said afterwards that, that uh, he was embarrassed by how it played out. I think even he knew at that point that uh, his stay in Baton Rouge was going to be short. Well, you know, Mississippi, um, you're talking about SEC teams, you've got Mississippi State and Ole Miss. You've got other players, other teams that are around the fringes competing for players. You go over to Alabama, you got you got Alabama and Auburn. But in, in Louisiana, you got LSU. Again, you got other, other teams that are playing around the fr- fringes. But make no mistake about it, the team is LSU. So the expectations are great. I do think the way they did it is probably it showed respect for Orgeron. It bought them a little bit of time. And I bet there's still a lot of activity going on around the coaching start. What's, what's the latest on that? Well, Scott Woodward is going to be a big hire for him. I mean, he's really in the process of, of probably identifying candidates. He probably is a little down the road on that, to be honest with you. He's done this in the past at, at Texas A&M and at University of Washington. He makes big, splashy hires. He's known as a big game hunter. Uh, at, at Washington, he was able to lure Chris Peterson out of Boise State when no one could get Chris Peterson to lead Boise State. And at AM, of course, he was able to hire Jimbo Fisher away from Florida State uh, when at, at a time when he was very comfortable and very successful in, in Tallahassee. And I think we're going to see a very similar type move here. I think everything that's going to drive this decision is finding the right coach that can stare Alabama eye to eye. I think it, just think of that. I don't know who it's going to be, but I know who it's not going to be. And it's probably not going to be an up and coming assistant coach someone with the without the chops to take on Alabama because that's unfortunately the world that LSU lives in. They're in the same division with the best program in college football. They've got to somehow find a way to compete with them. So it's going to take a coach that's not intimidated by that challenge, someone that actually embraces that challenge, and there's not too many of those people out there. So it'll be interesting to see. So if you were doing a search today, who would you be, who would you be thinking about? I think it'll be people like that, Jimbo Fisher, um, uh, James Franklin at Penn State. Uh, I think it could be a big name that we're not no, that's not on somebody's radar screen. Someone like a Logan Riley at Oklahoma or a Dabo Swinney at Clemson that maybe 
is ready for a change that people don't know about on the service. And the, the best example I can give of that is he hired Kim Mulkey away from Baylor to be the women's basketball coach. No one thought Kim Mulkey was, was ready to leave Baylor. She'd been highly successful there. I think it's going to be that kind of hire that Woodward makes because he can't find somebody that's going to come in and just keep the status quo. He's got to raise the bar in Baton Rouge and find another uh, Nick Saban type head coach here. And, and I think now with Scott Woodward there, a qualified, very well-respected athletic director, this job becomes much more attractive to a lot of candidates than it was with Joe Oliva, the previous athletic director. And you mentioned it earlier, Ricky, that there's a huge advantage here in Louisiana and that LSU is the only really premier school there, the only power five school in the state with incredible recruiting grounds. Uh, so that gives LSU, I think, a, a leg up on a lot of other programs. You can win a national championship here. The fact that three different head coaches have won national titles here in the last 15 years speaks volumes. It really speaks it really speaks volume. But as a, as we learned with Orgeron, you're only as good as your last performance. <laughs> and, and, you know, now that we uh, we're able to see – uh, you know, we saw it in the case of, um, you know, m- multiple quarterbacks in college football history. But when you've got a great quarterback and, and you got a, you got a, a good recruiting class, you can win it. And, uh, you know, there's so many great examples of that. You know, what Cam did in Auburn, you know, it was just incredible. And you just, you, it's, you know, that's happened at, at, uh, at LSU more than once. It's going to happen again. But they're not, they're not looking for the spurt just because you had a great quarterback. They're, they're looking for the ability to build a dynasty that can, that can c- compete with the Alabamas over a period of time. That's the goal, isn't it? Yeah, and that's why it's going to take the right person. Uh, I, I don't know who it's going to be. But I think I know who it's not going to be, and I don't think it's going to be someone that Woodward is going to roll the dice on unless he feels like it's a, an, a, a young Urban Meyer. You know, like Urban Meyer won at Bowling Green, then he went out to Utah and won, then he comes and goes to Florida and wins, he wins at Ohio State. He has a track record of winning in lots of different parts of the country, and I think you can find that person. I know a lot of times people think, oh, you have to get someone – from the South that understands how to recruit. I don't believe that personally. I think if you get a good head coach that knows how to build culture uh, and build a foundation, they're going to win wherever they go. Nick Saban was a great example. I was the beat writer at the Times-Picayune when he was hired. I broke that story for the Times-Picayune. He came from Michigan State, had really no background in the South, and we saw what Nick Saban's been able to do. You get the right person, players are going to want to play for him. Hey, listen, uh, we'll start fresh with the Saints in the next segment, uh, but NBA season is getting going. So what's your thoughts about where the Pelicans are at this moment? Well, as we're recording this uh, early, you know, the Pelicans will have opened the season on Wednesday night in the Smoothie King Center against the Philadelphia 76ers. They get them without uh, Ben Simmons. So hopefully they could start the season off on a winning note, but they're going to be doing it without Zion Williamson. That's the big disappointing uh, thing for the Pelicans right now that, that he's not back from his foot offseason foot surgery. Uh, they def, def, desperately need some positive momentum to start the season, and they're going to have to do it without their best player. Uh, I, I just don't sense a lot of buzz right now. I've, I've been impressed so far with Willie Green, the new head coach, but he's got a challenge early on with the schedule uh, in trying to get some wins without Zion Williamson on the court. So we'll see. I, I think they. I, I think if they can start well, Ricky. Get some enthusiasm, some momentum, 
and then get Zion back, I think this team will definitely make a playoff run. And I think they have to for David Griffin, the general manager, to retain his job. There's a lot of pressure on him this year. Yeah, you said that before, but Willie Green does bring a whole new culture to the table. It will be very interesting, his ability to connect with young players. How long is Zion going to be out? We don't know. I mean, they're, they're, they're not giving us a timeline, but it sounds like at least a couple weeks, Yeah, I'm sure, at least a week. I mean, he hasn't even gotten really back to cardio yet. That's part of the problem when you have one of those like foot injuries or lower leg injuries. You can't do much cardio. You have to get in the pool and do it, and it's just not the same. So for him to get back into basketball shape, I think it's going to take a little while. And last thing before we move on to the Saints, but it's related to the Saints, your series about what happens to the Saints when uh, when Miss Benson passes on, we talked about it in detail the last time we were on the show together. But uh, the Saints and the, that organization and Miss Benson uh, and your readers had to have been pleased with the work that you guys did on that series of stories. Well, I think it was necessary. I think there were a lot of questions that people had about what's going to happen to these teams, especially given Gail Benson's status. Uh, she's 74. She's very healthy, but she has no heirs. And there's always been questions about what's going to happen. And I thought she was very candid in saying these teams aren't going anywhere. Uh, my my goal is to keep them here long term. I think that was reassuring to fans who might be worried that one or both of the other organizations might be imperiled when her ownership ends. I had the pleasure of meeting with both Tom Benson and Gail Benson uh, not long after I arrived in Louisiana. And... Uh, they seemed like a terrific team. There is no doubt about that. They were a terrific team. He would be so proud of the way that she's handled herself and his legacy since he passed away. What don't you think? Yeah, I think she's tried to carry on the, the, the operating procedure that he set. I mean, they run a very lean operation. Uh, they punch above their weight class. We know New Orleans is a small market, relatively speaking, compared to their peers in the NBA and the NFL. And those are two different business models, the NBA and the NFL, uh, the way they operate. It's a bigger challenge in the NBA, but I think the challenge for them right now, Ricky, is to try and make Pelicans a destination franchise the way they've done with the New Orleans Saints. That's been a huge success on that side of the building. They're trying to replicate it on basketball operations. Well, they're, they're certainly putting the money there, and uh, and they're do, doing everything they can to overcome the small market aspect of what they bring to the table. But when we come back, we're going to get the latest on the Saints. This is Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. We'll see you after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. He's covered the Saints longer than anyone else. He has the sources to prove it and a long, long stretch over many, many years of breaking incredibly important stories related to the sort of the sports community. He's on the NFL 
Hall of Fame selection committee, and he's been the you know the the sports reporter of the year many times. He's just on top of his game. But anyway, thank you for being with us, Jeff. We really appreciate it. Now let's move on to the Saints. Wow, I mean, buddy, you knew you knew we had a lot of players hurt, and we've been shuffling players in in and on and off of this team. Kind of give us where are we right now as we go into the Seattle game. Well, we're finally seeing some of the injured, walking, wounded come back into the practice mix. Uh, to the Saints activated, uh, I think, Traquan Smith, Quan Alexander, and uh, Will, Will Lutz. All of them are eligible to come back and start practicing. That doesn't mean they're going to play, but that's a good sign. That starts the clock ticking. I think they have three weeks now uh, to get back on the, on the field, and uh, that's, a, that's the first step that you take coming off injured reserve. So those are those are bodies they need back at key positions. Uh, also Marcus Davenport, I, I forgot Marcus Davenport is their best pass rusher. And we, we will definitely see David Onyemata back after this game, the Seattle game is on Monday night. And then the Saints have a huge, huge showdown with Tampa Bay and the Superdome after that Seattle game. So a quick turnaround, you know, the Monday night game on the West Coast, a long flight back from Seattle. The Saints won't get back till early, early Tuesday morning, and they've got to turn around their preparation and get their game plan put together in time for that big game against the Bucs uh, in the Superdome. If you think about it, Ricky, that'll be week seven, week eight. The Saints will have played one home game in the Superdome. I don't think anybody else in the league has had such few, uh, you know, such a little home field advantage in the first part of their schedule. So I think if the Saints can get a win out in Seattle and come back four and two, you got to feel good about things. You know what's interesting? If you look across the league, we're gonna zero, I'm going to zero in on the Bucks here in just a second, but you look across the league and, you know, like the Chiefs just barely got past the Titans and you're seeing, you know, teams that you would expect to win, not winning, but the Bucks, Bucks are, are seem real. And uh, we're going to have to be we're going to be ready for that game. Unfortunately, they're in our division, and it's just uh, you know. But we've always played them well. Let's, let's face it; we've we've always played them well. What's your sense of how we stack up against the Bucks these days? Well, I think quite well. I mean, last year they they swept them during the regular season, beat them down in Tampa pretty handily, and then of course when it mattered, Tampa came in and and took care of business when they were they were just playing very well last year. I think this year we could see something similar happen. In the NFC, uh, we've seen it in the past, right? We've seen wild card teams like the New York Giants go on and win the Super Bowl. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers did it once. Uh, it's not uncommon a team gets hot at the end of the year and is playing better than everybody else. And I think that's what happened with Tampa last year. But I think the Saints match up very well with them. I think they've got some certain areas of the team that have to improve. The pass rush has to get better, but they're getting Marcus Davenport back and they're going to get David Onyemata back. That's going to be immediate upgrades for that one area of the team, I think, where they have really not uh, been as good as we thought they would be. And they've been extraordinary, Ricky, in scoring in the red zone. They they lead the NFL. They've scored 13 touchdowns and 14 red zone trips. Uh, that's unprecedented. I don't think they're going to keep that pace up. But they also lead the league in red zone defense. So they're, when, it, when teams get down the red zone, the Saints are holding teams to field goals and scoring touchdowns. And that's really why they've been as successful as they've been early on without all these uh, key players out. Well, one of the things that makes you such a good reporter is that with a with a 
with a season like this where we're, we haven't really found the personality yet, you're trying to get used to a new quarterback, you've had a lot of, a lot of you know, ups and downs on the defense, a lot due to injuries, I might add. Um, it's hard to kind of get your head around it, but but I see you always going back to sort of the statistical analysis. You, okay, when you look at the numbers, what do you see in this team? Well, look, my colleague Luke Johnson had a, had a great report the other day, and I think it speaks to what you're talking about. This team is 28th in the league in offense right now, 28th. You know, that's unheard of in the Sean Payton, Drew Brees era. They finished in the top 10 every year but one, and one year, I think the year they didn't make it, they were 12th, and that was last year. They've been a top 10 offense for 15, 16 years straight. Sometimes often they've led the league in offense, and here they are 28th. Well, why is that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, so quarterback transition uh, to a new quarterback. Two, they've had a lot of short fields. You know, they've intercepted nine passes. That's a lot. So they end up with like 40, 50-yard drives. So they're scoring touchdowns, but they're not am- amassing yardage. So they end up 28th in, in total yards gained, but they're actually in the top 10 in scoring offense. So it's a little bit of a – we don't have enough of a body of work yet for this to play out. But I think they've done a great job in key situations, and that's coaching. That's Sean Payton dialing up the right plays in the red zone. That's them, Dennis Allen, having the right defensive play calls when they're getting out near the goal line. I think your confidence should come, if you're a Saints fan, from this coaching staff. They have a track record of improving as the year goes on, and they're going to get some of their key players back. I just think this team's got a lot of improvement to do, a high ceiling that we just haven't seen yet. So I'm, I'm optimistic, as you know. Yeah, I know that you, I know that you have been, and you've seen in, in at least the last couple of games, they're starting to, um, to go downfield a little bit more. So you're seeing, you're seeing more of the pass yardage improving. Um, and then, you know, you look at kind of who's coming back and all these elements, it's got to, it's got to bode well for the future. But then you look at Michael Thomas and it doesn't look like he's going to be ready yet. So, what's your what's your latest thinking on Michael Thomas? Well, I was told he was that, that he was in good shape and might even come back and practice this week. So, it's a little bit of a setback that he's not going to get on the practice field and is still a couple weeks away. Uh, but I think they'll be fine without him. I mean, they catch Seattle at a good time. They don't have Russell Wilson quarterbacking, but it's still going to be a challenge. It's going to be Monday night. Seattle's difficult place to play. It's been raining all week as usual in Seattle, so it could be kind of rough, you know, slippery sledding out there. And uh, that they're a desperate team, Ricky. They've lost two in a row, four of their last five. Uh, they're going to get Seattle's best shot. That's not going to be easy uh, in a in a prime time environment. But it is a good time to play them without their star quarterback. So I think it's another one of those games you just try and get out of town with a win. I think it's going to be this way this season. For this team, they're not going to have a lot of easy wins, even though they've had a couple so far. It's been a little bit of a weird year. I wrote this the other day. There haven't been a lot of drama to the Saints games. They've either been way up or that Carolina game, they were completely out of it. Uh, the Giants game was weird and that they were winning the whole game. And all of a sudden, the Giants just scored three of the last four drives. And the Saints really, there wasn't much drama there either. So uh, I feel like uh, we're going to get some drama coming up in the next few games. Yeah, I want some drama that plays in our favor. <laughs> right. I want yeah, some that. Well, I was going to say, we haven't seen Jameis Winston really with his feet to the fire yet as a quarterback. You know, yeah. we're so used to Drew Brees doing those two minute drills and driving the Saints to a winning field goal. I and mean, he was a master of, of operating in those conditions, even before halftime. We really haven't seen 
and Jameis talked about this. He hasn't really had the two-minute offense yet, the, having to make the game-winning drive to win the game just because of the circumstance of how, how these games have played out. I want some datitude. Yeah, yeah, the, the Jim Derry uh, podcast. When we, when we did this week, the datitude podcast, we talked about that. And, and here's the other thing I would say about Jameis Winston. I like the improvement. I like that he's getting better each week. You can tell he's getting more comfortable, and Sean Payton's getting more comfortable with him. Uh, but the area he's got to improve in is his pocket awareness. Uh, you know, that interception he threw last week, we talked about it. Uh, you can look at that a lot of different ways. He got his foot stepped on by Andres Pete. That's the area where he can improve in. Like, not – he needs to feel that pressure and not get his foot stepped on. I know you want, an easy knee-jerk reaction is to blame the offensive lineman, but the offensive lineman's trying to withstand a bull rush, and, and he needs to obviously – hold his ground better, but a really elite quarterback like Drew Brees feels that and is able to kind of sidestep it a little bit and get his pass off. And I think that's the area that the Saints want to see some improvement from Jameis so it avoids those critical mistakes like interceptions and fumbles. You know, it's, it's so easy, it's so easy to take for granted what Drew brought to the table. You know, his pocket presence was some of the best ever. And, you know, because of his, because of his size, he would get some balls batted down from time to time. But it is really remarkable that that didn't happen more often, isn't it? Given the fact that he's having to look over these, like, towering men that are surrounding him in that pocket, it's, it's amazing that Drew did what he did. Well, you talk to the coaches that, and, the, and some of his teammates, I mean, he was extraordinary in that. I mean, I think it was really they were – they said it was like a sixth sense that he had, the ability to feel the pressure, the slide his feet. That's athleticism too. We tend to think of athleticism as jumping high and running fast. No, there's peripheral vision as part of athleticism, the ability to move quick in what they call a phone booth of the NFL pocket. Uh, all that stuff uh, he was extraordinary at. Uh, that tennis background, the soccer background, his quick foot movements, very subtle, but it's part of quarterback play in the NFL, as Sean Payton says. The pocket's not going to be perfect. It's you know you've got incredible athletes on the other side of the ball, and uh, so you got to be able to manage that, and navigate it, and get the pass off without without all of the uh, you know leading to interceptions. I'm hoping some of the drama comes from Taysom Hill. We'll get an update on his situation, but one of the names that's trending for new babies' names is Taysom. That's so interesting. He's such a popular player. And the, the, the pass that got intercepted where the where he got his foot uh, stepped on, Taysom was wide open. If he had gotten that, he would it would have been a for sure touchdown. Anyway, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Jeff Duncan. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. 103.1. As I said before we went to break, one of the names that's, uh, that's trending for new baby names is Taysom. Never even heard that name before, before Taysom Hill came on the scene. What's the latest on, on Taysom Hill? Well, we will get an injury update. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have one right now. I mean, he, he suffered a very uh, serious concussion. And so he'll be in concussion protocol. We'll have to pass those uh, benchmarks to get back on the field. So I don't know if we're going to see him against Seattle or not. We'll know, we'll know better uh, over the weekend as he gets on the, if he tries to get back on the practice field, but they're going to be cautious with that. I really, he really hasn't had many concussion issues in his pro career. I know he had a couple of Brigham Young, but he's a key part of their offense. I think the best 
thing that, that you can say about that situation is the fact the Saints know what they're working with. They can go into the game with a different short yardage package because he's like their short yardage back, if you will. He's the guy they go to at the goal line a lot. They know they don't have him. At least they can come up with a backup plan uh, as opposed to it happening in the middle of the game like it did last time. Man, I've, I've watched that hit over and over and over again. Man, it was a severe hit. I mean, you hate to see one of your star players in that situation. Uh, the guy says he was going for the ball, but bottom line is it was just violent. And I can only imagine uh, how much how much worse it could have been. You know, it could have just it could have been. I mean, eventually, buddy, somebody's going to get a hit in that situation. They're not they're not going to get up, and it's going to be deadly. And uh, let's hope it's not one of our players. Let's hope it's not not any of the players. But it's it's a tough game, and it's a violent game. Well, you know, they made some great uh, improvements. In helmet technology, that's one thing I've noticed. There, there have been fewer concussions in the league the last few years. The league's uh, progress in that area has been, I think, very good as far as changing the way players tackle and for, trying to enforce player safety, improving the technology, like I said, with the helmets. Uh, there's there's a lot of reasons for optimism in that area that I don't, I don't think it's covered enough. Uh, so it's, it's unusual to see something like that happen. It's such a violent game. Players are so extraordinarily fast that, you know, all it takes is a, a, a two or three inches change in how a player comes into a collision can mean the difference between a serious injury or just dodging a bullet. Well, let's come back to Alvin Kamara and the running back. Alvin Kamara has um, he's been grinding them out. Every now and then recently you've been able to see a little bit more of his balance on display, you know, making a little bit further. I hope some of that drama that we that you hope that we may see comes in Alvin Kamara. But if you look at running backs in general, and you can comment about Alvin in a second, we picked up former pro bowl running back Lamar Miller. It looks like Tony Jones is going to, you know, maybe be another week or so, but, uh, but that's good, you know, that he's going to be coming back. What's your take on where we are with running backs these days? Well, I think they wanted Lamar Miller in there, a veteran guy that knows the passing game. Uh, it's such an important role in the Saints offense to have a back that's experienced, that understands pass protection, how to get out into the pass pattern. I mean, the Saints rely a lot on the running backs, so I think that's the role he'll fill. They still have Divina Zigbo, who they brought up, uh, signed away from Jacksonville, the guy that knows their system as well. But I think they wanted a more experienced guy back there and to take a little bit of the load uh, off of Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara is averaging 18 carries a game. That's a career high. Uh, and look, you got to ride ride the thoroughbred if you can. I mean, he's their best offensive playmaker, but I think they also want him to not get worn down over the course of the season. So I think this move made a lot of sense. He's staying healthy. Thank goodness. I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to jinx the situation, but he's taking some pretty serious hits too. Yeah, look, the one thing that's missing so far in, in, in his stats so far, I mean, he's having a great year, is he's really had not the big explosive play, the big play. I think that's going to come, especially when they start getting back some of the Eric McCoy and Teron Armstead uh, that will help them open up some, some bigger holes that he can use his great elusiveness. Uh, he had that beautiful touchdown run against Washington, 23-yard touchdown run where he made the safety miss. Uh, he's he's an elite player, one of the greatest. He might be the greatest running back in Saints history when it's all said and done. He's on that path to become the all-time leading rusher. But I think they would love to be able to get Mike Thomas and Traquan Smith back to kind of take some of the playmaking lo load off of his shoulders. 
Hey, by the way, coming back to the Tennessee Titan game, because you're talking about running backs that, that do amazing things. I actually was I actually, you know, picked Tennessee for that game. I thought Tennessee was gonna gonna play a hell of a game. Man, they they uh they've got themselves a running back, don't they? Oh, Derrick Henry, he's amazing. Uh and supposedly and I, I've talked to some of my colleagues there to cover him and say he's just an incredible person, uh, great team player. Stayed out after the game the other night, signed autographs for twenty minutes to the fans after he went in and did his media duties. I mean, he's a special player and Tennessee had to have that game. Uh, that was a huge game, and I think we see just how wide open this season is so far. I know Arizona's 5-0, and but I don't think that's going to hold up. I think this season's going to be wide open, like as I alluded to earlier. I think we could see a wild-card team win the Super Bowl this year because it's that the playing field's that level. Yeah, you don't see the Chiefs as dominating as they normally are. No. I'm hoping that we see Tampa as vulnerable before it's over with. Parody, man, it's there. It's there in the NFL. And hopefully uh, by the end of the season, New Orleans, with all these players coming back, finds its footing underneath. The final word, Jeff? Well, I was just going to say, I think Dallas right now might make a claim as good as anybody. But that two-week span coming up in the Superdome in early November, Buffalo and Dallas in the Superdome, those two teams could be playing for the Super Bowl down the road. That's going to be a big, big kind of statement weekend, or two weekends in a row for New Orleans and the Saints. Let's hope we're ready. It was a, it's a tough schedule coming up for sure. Anyway, Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks for having me, Ricky. We'll talk again next week, buddy. You bet. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.